0: The church is not a gathering of the elite, but of those who realize their true need for God's saving grace. We are good for nothing but
1: sin. The church is not the gathering of good people, as some people think, but rather repentant sinners that are now saints. The church is not a place to be served, but rather a place to serve. And the church of God is being transformed by the Spirit of God. Those that live a life of repentance,
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Many motorcycle gangs were formed by returning World War II veterans who were seeking acceptance after being rejected by society. However, this is also the common thread for those who join inner-city gangs. The pattern is clear. We're all looking for acceptance, but unfortunately, many times it's in the wrong places. Today, Pastor Xavier returns to the Gospel of Luke as he shares the importance of making the right choice and seeking acceptance into the kingdom of God. Let's begin with our text and today's important simple truths.
1: Luke chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 18 to 35 and the message entitled, The Kingdom of God and the Church. Jesus here in verses 18 to 35 continues with the theme of the kingdom of God through repentance revealing three truths about the church. First, the corruption of the church, verses 18 through 21. Notice in 18, the kingdom of God had arrived, and the church is part of the kingdom according to Jesus. Then he said, what is the kingdom of God like, and what shall I compare it to? The kingdom of God is a key theme. Jesus has been speaking about it all along. The kingdom of God is kind of like an eclipse. It's on earth here. When Jesus came, the kingdom of God arrived, and it is constantly moving forward. We're getting closer, and when it gets to a final eclipse, the rapture happens, and then we come back in the second coming, and the kingdom of God will have arrived. Jesus brings in the kingdom. We're part of the kingdom, but not the kingdom itself. So the kingdom is present and yet to come. Now, notice also the kingdom of God in the age of grace is portrayed as being infiltrated according to Jesus by two parables. The first parable likens the kingdom of God in the church age to a mustard seed. Uh, listen to his words. It is like a mustard seed which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. There is no punchline in both of these parables. Usually parables have a punchline. But they both clearly are said to be a comparison to the kingdom of God in the age of grace. Okay, So by nature of a parable, they compare or contrast. These compare. The question is whether it is a positive or a negative comparison. We must first note that the mustard seed is an herb and is in the form of a bush, very small. But the mustard seed will grow at times abnormally large, eight, 10, even 12 feet. Consequently, the birds confuse what is a bush for a tree and they nest in it. No bird makes a nest in a bush. It's too low, the animals get too young. And so when this bush becomes abnormally large, it's confused for a tree and the birds nest in it. Jesus has just preached the gospel and has been preaching the gospel that requires repentance to escape God's judgment or sinners will perish. Chapter 12, verse 1 to chapter 13, verse 17, it's very, very, very clear. Jesus clearly answers disciples directly that few will be saved in increments, not in numbers, in 23 and 24. We'll get to that. Jesus revealed his people Israel would ultimately reject him and not repent. Luke 13, 34 and 35 will tell us that. The context of this chapter is negative. Rejection and unrepentance. The next thing for the proper interpretation is to ask what do the birds mean? Or represent. Birds in scripture always represent evil. Always. The parallel passages in the synoptic gospels. Matthew and Mark. The other two. Follow the parable of the sower of the seed. And Jesus said. He interpreted for us that the birds are evil. Calls them Satan. They devoured the seed of the gospel preached. Matthew 13, 4, 32. Mark 4, 4, 31 and 32. And we've already seen in Luke 8, 5, the birds snatched up, harpasoed the seed from the hard ground. Therefore, the birds represent the evil men who will be within the church by an abnormal large growth during the kingdom of God. There was a point in time when this is going to happen. Jesus clearly states, we already see a lot of that today. The second parable, verse 20 through 21, likens the kingdom of God in the church age to leaven. And he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. The use of leaven in the Bible is always, always symbolic of evil, even in the figurative sense right here. The meal of bread represents the word of God. Leaven rots, causing bread to rise. The proper interpretation of the leaven in the meal is one of false teaching and doctrine introduced into the church to corrupt God's word. And we can clearly see this today. We see it in the past, but we see it in great measures today. This interpretation is consistent with the context in the two parables of double warning, the mustard seed and the meal and the leaven. So it's emphatic. Double means emphatic. Great danger. Second 2 Peter 2, 1-2 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Here's the key, listen. And many, not few, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Jesus warned about the corruption of the church. Notice, secondly, comes the proportion comprising the church in 22 through 30. In 22 and 23, the Lord Jesus was questioned about the number of those to be saved. The occasion, and when he uh, went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem... Jesus began his journey after Peter's confession of Sister Philippi, that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember, we have the line of demarcation in chapter 9, verse 51, as Jesus heads to Jerusalem, walking under the shadow of the cross, six months. Jesus is walking uh, through these cities and villages, teaching, uh, not in a straight route, he's making his way down, and uh, he's teaching the people about the kingdom of God by the word of God. And... Its focus is repentance. And Jesus is walking again under the shadow of the cross. He understands his time is short. He's going to state it for us as we move along. Now the teaching opportunity presented a question to Jesus from a disciple. It says, Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? The question is not asking a specific number to be saved. Instead it's asking if the amount of those to be saved is greater than those lost, at the end of twenty-three and twenty-four, Jesus answered the question indirectly, and he said to them, he changes from the one to the them. Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Underline will not be able. Jesus spoke directly to the disciples, them, admonishing them to strive to enter through the narrow gate. Forget about how many are going to be saved, literally Jesus is saying. He says, are you saved? Agonize. We're always, well, I mean, are you saved? Got to take care of the rest. The many seeking to enter in, notice, and not able are those who do not respond to the window time to repent. The inability to enter is because you haven't taken advantage of the open door, the time. In 26, notice the argument of many Jews worked against them in greater judgment by not repenting, but just that they hung around Jesus. Because now they respond Jesus says, Then you will begin to say, We ate, we drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. Jesus, don't you remember me? I always sat in the front row to the left, second from the right. Jesus plainly reemphasizes. He will reject those who had not repented. That's the key. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. This is Jesus, the epitome of love. With a broken heart. They perish on their own, not because God rejected them or unconditionally predestined them to be damned, like Calvinists teach. The Lord Jesus knew they were workers of iniquity, indicated by the fact that they had been unrepentant. That's the key. Matthew seven twenty-three Matthew twenty-five-forty-one clearly confirms this. Now, notice in twenty-eight the result will be eternal separation from God for these Jews. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. The article is present before weeping and gnashing of teeth indicating there has never been or ever will be any like it. It's a torment of the lake of fire for those who have perished being unrepentant. The Jews that did not repent would see Abraham. Notice this. Isaac and Jacob, all the prophets in the kingdom of God, while they were thrust out, driven or cast out emphatic for not entering in the narrow gate. Through what? Repentance. The door. You decide where you spend eternity, not God. By your opportunity to enter or your lack thereof. Look at 29 through 30. Jesus declared the greatest shock to the Jew that many Gentiles would be saved. Whoa. From the four corners of the earth, it says, they will come from the east, the west, the north, the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. The Jew utterly looked down on the Gentiles. You know that they exalted themselves. To hear this was the utter offense to a Jew. And 30 says, and indeed there are last who will be first, and there will are first who will be last. What the heck does this mean? The last are the Gentiles. It's interpreting the previous verse. The last are the Gentile who were far from the kingdom, they will be first. And the first are the Jews who were near the kingdom, will be last, not are entering into the kingdom. Simple. That's what he's talking about. Okay? But the first represents all who agonize also to enter through the narrow gate, repenting by the gospel, trusting Jesus as their Savior in principle. But in context, he's talking to the Jew, and he's contrasting the Jew to the Gentile to come. The running red thread of this entire section is repentance. You have to be a good, good hound dog scripturally. You must study the word of God, and even though this section seems to not have connective entities, it does have it. It's the preaching of the kingdom of God and the need of repentance. The different stories is not the connection. It's that red thread that runs through all of these things. You understand? So you've got to stay on the trail when you study the word of God and not be sidetracked. The result of the change of life and lifestyle, turning away from sin, being a new creation, all things pass away, everything becomes new, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is only possible through the new divine nature that is imparted to us in 2 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 3-4, pertaining to life and godliness, allowing us to escape the corruption of this world. This is for life, abiding in Jesus and his word. Jesus said that in John 15, 4-7. If you do not abide in me, you will be cut off. Now, Jesus is the one that suggested, unless you abide, do you think Jesus is just speaking hypothetically? The church is not the gathering of good people, as some people think, but rather repentant sinners that are now saints. We are good for nothing but sin. We're not good. The church is not a place to be served, but rather a place to serve Jesus is our example in Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The church is not a place where a person can believe whatever they want, but rather only what the Bible reveals, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures given by inspiration of God It is his prophet for doctrine instruction and righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. This is the plumb line. The church of God is all accounted for by God. You don't have to worry about it. The church of God is um, comprised of those who are in heaven and on earth. Some of them have already been in heaven, and the others are here on earth. The church of God lives by God's word. The church of God is looking for the Son of God to come in the rapture for the church. And the church of God is being transformed by the Spirit of God. In fact, the early church in Acts 2:46 to 47, it says they continued daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate with their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord, added to the church daily those who were being saved. I've never saved anyone. I never saved myself. Jesus saves. Jesus adds to the church, not us. So Jesus declared the proportion comprising the church. Who are they? Those that repent. Those that live a life of repentance. Simple. Forget about the number. (laughs) Notice the third truth. The distinction of Israel from the church. This is very important. 31 through 35. In 31 to 33, the intention to intimidate Jesus by a religious ruler of Israel is introduced at this time. The identity of the man is given on that very day some Pharisee came. The Pharisees, the separated ones, remember, they came after the Babylonian captivity from the great synagogue, attempting to protect the law because they had gone into captivity, so they made all these oral interpretations, the problem was that they began to worship the interpretation at the expense of God's word, and they became the epitome of hypocrisy and the enemies of God. And the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and lawyers were all enemies of Jesus. The indignant words are against Jesus, saying to him, get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you, verse 31. He rejected Jesus commanding him to depart from the jurisdiction of Herod. This is probably Perea on the east side of Jordan. So Jesus is making his way, zigzagging back and forth. He did not realize that Herod couldn't kill Jesus. Jesus already had a death date and a death appointment. He was walking towards Jerusalem, the cross. (laughs) Jesus would not fear Herod. Look at 32. He had no respect but contempt for Herod. Now, if you think I'm bad, listen to Jesus. And he said to them, go tell that fox, opposite to courageous and bold. (laughs) You go tell that weasel, (laughs) Herod. He had no intention on abandoning the people. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. He would not abandon his goal to be glorified. And the third day I shall be perfected, being raised from the dead, verse 32. In 33, Jesus would not be deterred from his mission either. He was focused and determined. He did not have much time left. Listen to the words. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following. There's not too many left. He's been in ministry now for almost three and a half years. He's going to be in Jerusalem shortly. He was the prophet of all prophets, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside Jerusalem. Deuteronomy 18, 15, and 18. Moses spoke of the prophet, of all prophets. And then notice in 34 and 35, the intention of Jesus now was to reconciliate the Jew first. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Jesus later would say, as he got to Jerusalem, therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. Matthew 23 24. You see, the Messiah Jesus was first sent to the house of Israel, to the Jews, but they rejected him as their Messiah. Look at the end of 34. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. This is what's called a simile. The picture is one of love and protection as a hen gathers her vulnerable chicks under her wings to incur the danger and the damage herself. This is the heart of Jesus being poured out. They had the scriptures about his birth, Genesis 3.15, Micah 5.2. We've seen Luke chapter 1 and 2 about his birth. They had the confirmation of his, at his baptism. The Father spoke from heaven. The Spirit descended upon him. Jesus went under, identified as The Messiah. In Luke 3, 21 and 22. They had the very day of the Messiah coming right into Jerusalem on the donkey. Zechariah 9, 9. Matthew 21. Luke 19. The personal rejection is a charge. Make no mistake of it. Listen. But you were not willing. This is key. You were not willing. They opposed, insulted, and accused Jesus. They constantly rejected and resisted. The grace of God. You reject God, you resist the grace of God when you hear the gospel and you don't repent. This is the context. Jesus has expressed it very clearly about the door and will not be able. The Messiah of the Jews ultimately rejected them and Jesus declared judgment over them. The near future would bring the nation to an end. Look at 35. See, your house is left to you desolate. In 70 AD, Titus ran to Jerusalem, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, took all the gold, all the furnishings. He killed and pillaged the city, enslaved and sold many Jews, leaving only a small contingency of poor people in the land. Notice the far future will bring the nation to her Messiah. The far future, the love of God. 35, at the end, the authority is that that of Jesus, supreme, ultimate, and divine. I I assuredly say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The quote is from Psalm 118, 26. This is the end of the seven-year tribulation, Matthew 23, 47. After Israel has been protected by God in the city of Petra the last three and a half years, Isaiah 16, 1, Revelation 12, then Jesus will return his church with him, fight the battle of Armageddon, collect his remnant, and set up the kingdom. Revelation 19, Isaiah 65, 8 through 10, and many other passages. The church is looking to the rapture, to be with Jesus. Jesus is the first one to mention in John 14, 1 through 3. I go to receive you, that I come back to receive you to myself, that where I am there, you may be also. So when Jesus comes for the church, it's 1 Thessalonians, the rapture, we're caught up. When we come back with him, it's 2 Thessalonians, we come back with him to set up the kingdom. Jesus sets up the kingdom. The church will never set up the kingdom. Harpazo, suddenly, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, we'll be caught up with them, those dead bodies in the grave, to be transformed and transfigured to receive our glorified bodies. Here you have Jesus speaking about the kingdom through repentance, revealing these three truths about the church. The corruption of the church is the first truth. We see it all around us today. The proportion comprising the church, it's those who have repented, forget about numbers. The distinction of Israel from the church, don't confuse them. They're not the same. Thank God Jesus taught this. (laughs) Now we have to stay on course as good hound dogs. Don't go up rabbit trails. Take heed how you hear and what you hear Jesus said.
0: There are many who claim to know the path to God, but Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us that we need to listen to the right voice. That's the simple truth he draws from today's study in the Gospel of Luke. And today's message titled, The Kingdom of God and the Church, is available as always on CD for only $4. And by the way, we'll also be including everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. Now once again, the title to ask for is, The Kingdom of God and the Church, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, Nine one one zero seven, or to make your request by phone call 800-926-1485 again that's 800-926-1485 or the address once again is simple truths 2200 east colorado boulevard pasadena california 91107 and thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch this helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California